Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. It's so good to be with you this week, and I I love being with my home church, and normally I'm sitting out here someplace, so this is a little bit of a flip for me, but I was so thankful when Pastor Nick asked if I could teach this morning as we finish up this master class in Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 15 and 16, and just to relieve you, I'm not going to try to teach both chapters all in the next 30 minutes because that would be a lot. Really, we would need another few hours, and you probably um, aren't up for that at this moment. So just going to give ease your mind here. But I just got back from family vacation. My parents, some of you know my parents, they celebrated their 50th anniversary this year. And so they took all the kids and grandkids to the beach for a week and we had the best time and we got back yesterday and I was able to get a little bit of a tan but I want to be clear that none of my coloring came from sun bathing it all came from sun babysitting which is a little bit different and I've got six nieces and nephews and I was a constant wrangling my sister Megan's here and we were constantly looking, counting, how many do you see? How, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. So, oh, wait, two have gone back. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. It was, it was just constantly making sure that everybody was there. And so it was, a, it was an incredible, incredible time. But one of the things that we got to do is we had, we had a kayak, and we would take the kayak deep out into the deep. And my youngest niece, Lily, she was just crazy. She was always running out. She was always out in the, in the waves. She would go as far. She had no fear. And, and it, it's not so much that she's super brave. It's that she's super ignorant at this age. And I kept having to have discussions with her that when she would put on those goggles, she felt like she was Superman, like it was Superman's cape. And I'm like, these goggles mean nothing uh, up against this ocean. And I love that you are excited and you love it, but we need to respect the ocean. And I don't think she heard anything I said, but she was always a taker to get in the kayak and to go out into the deep and look for things. And then I had another little niece, Holland, and she was much more cautious. I would actually say that she was a little bit 
more ahead of and respecting the ocean than Lily was, but she would stay by the shore. She did not like to go out. She would not get in the kayak. And I would say, Holland, will you get in the kayak? Let's go out into the deep. There are dolphins out there. And she would turn to this flagpole that had different colors that would tell you about different things. The red was the riptide and the yellow was medium concern. And, and she's like, do you see that purple flag? That means that every possible thing that can sting you, it's out right now, right here at this beach. And, and no way am I getting in that thing. I said, well, but we're going to be in the kayak, so those things can't sting us while we're in the, no, I'm not going, I'm not going. Well, today, as we look in chapter 15 and 16, I think what Paul is inviting us to do is to go to the deep end. He's inviting us to get off the seashore of our faith where it's easy, where there is no risk, where we don't have to worry about the flags. Um, he is, he is, telling us to get into the boat and to go out and to live in the deep end of real, true, radical Christianity. And so I, my prayer for us today, and as I was been praying for this day, this week, is that all of us, as we enter into this incredibly powerful chapter of Romans chapter 15, and then we'll touch on Romans chapter 16, that we will see the areas where we are staying on the shore of our faith and where we have not been obedient to follow Jesus out into the deep. Because all of what Paul is going to be talking about in this chapter and what he has been talking about is very contrary to our human nature. We see the different flags. We see yellow. We see red. We see purple. And we go, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to stay right here. And Paul says, yeah, I don't want you to worry about the flags. I want you to look at Jesus and I want you to get and I want you to go out to where the real excitement of the Christian life is. So would you open with me if you have your Bibles on your device or on um, an actual book or if you want to look at the screen, we are going to begin in Romans chapter 15 and just note that as you're turning there that Paul is continuing his his argument from chapter 14 if you were here last week where we talked about the fact that the weak those weak in faith and those strong in faith were to get along with one another and remember the context here that Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians were coming together at this time in history. And it was very messy because the Jews held to certain parts of their law and their tradition. And the Gentiles were coming in without any of that. And so the, the, the body of Christ... And Paul was used greatly in this. Was ha they were having to come together to decide how are we going to make this work. And some people wanted to eat meat and some people didn't feel good about that. Some people wanted to drink wine and some people didn't feel good about that. Some people observed certain days of the week and some people did not. And Paul said, hey, we need to put one another above ourselves and we need to bear with one another no matter where we are. And that's what chapter 14, but Paul is going to pick right up with that concept in chapter 15 as he is talking about the, the weak and the strong. But now he is primarily addressing those strong in the faith. And this is what he says in chapter 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, 
The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That's a psalm that he is quoting. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to open your word today. Lord, we all gather here today on a Sunday morning and we confess that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. Lord, we cannot get out into the deep end of the Christian life without the power and the presence of Christ. Lord, we come wanting to hear your voice this morning and we come humbly and we come open and we pray that you would speak in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul begins by saying that the strong are obligated to take care of the weak or to bear the weaknesses of those who are powerless. This is a very strong terminology. This is not just about accepting the weak or tolerating the weak or putting your stamp of approval on the weak, but actually putting their burdens on our own shoulders and carrying them. Now, in this particular context, he's not talking about the physical weak necessarily. He's talking about those weak in the faith. He is talking about those who are new to the faith, and they have different scruples with what they feel like is okay and what they don't feel like is okay. And I was trying to bridge that to our current context because for us, we, we are not living in this day of Jews and Gentiles coming together uh, as Christians. We are... We are uh, 2,000 years past that day. That doesn't mean that it's not still current or relevant, but it's not the context that you and I are immediately living in. So what does it look like for us to bear the weaknesses of those who are not as far along in their faith? And we know that that might be mental. There might be mental anguish, someone who hasn't totally rested in the justification uh, of, of the Lord. Uh, it, it, there might be uh, people who didn't grow up in a Christian home and they're, they're new to the faith and they didn't have maybe what you were given and so they struggle or they're, maybe they're impatient or they don't have the faith that you have or they don't know how to pray yet and, and these become difficult burdens and Paul is saying if you are strong in the faith, you are obligated not just to, to tolerate but to literally pick up those burdens of the weak and I love that imagery but again, this is deep end stuff. Because it's easy to sit on the shallow end and say, you know what, that's their problem. They should have it together by now. They should be further along. And, and not to show grace and not to show that uh, love. But, but this is, uh, also corresponds very directly to a passage in Matthew where uh, Matthew chapter 8 where it says that Jesus bore our iniquities and took up our weaknesses upon himself. And so Paul says, I want you to bear the weaknesses of the weak. And he says, for even Christ did not please himself. So Paul is not going to ask us to do anything that Jesus Christ has not done for us. 
Paul is always going to ask us to do things after the character of Jesus. We are to build up our neighbors. We are not to look to our interests, but to please others. Is that the natural disposition of our hearts when we wake up in the morning? Is the natural disposition to think, Lord, I want to serve you, I want to please you, and I want to build up my neighbor. I I want to encourage people. I want to help bear the weaknesses of those who are powerless because that is what Jesus Christ did. And then Paul quotes a psalm, and it's a seemingly obscure psalm. It's in uh, Psalm 69. I think it's Psalm 69, verse 9. And it was uttered by a godly man that had a zeal for the house of the Lord. And he says, I love the house of the Lord, and I love God. And because he loved those things, those who would insult the Lord, those insults would fall on this psalmist. And he says, the insults that are directed at you, Lord, they're actually coming on me. And Paul is taking that Old Testament passage and he is putting this on the lips of Jesus. And he's saying essentially that that all the insults that were directed at God, all of our sin and our hate and our rebellion that was directed at God, you know who it fell on? It fell on Jesus. Jesus bore all of that for you and for me. And so Paul is saying, let's not be so judgmental and so self-righteous and so pious that we forget. We're going to bear those weaknesses because Christ bore ours and the insults fell on him. And then Paul makes this little side note in in verse 4. He says, oh, by the way, the reason I quoted that psalm is because the Old Testament is for our instruction. And the Old Testament is for our encouragement and for our endurance. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but who needs some endurance right now? Maybe you have been bearing the weaknesses of others. Maybe you have been taking on those who are powerless Maybe you've been building up your neighbor. Maybe the reproaches, which are getting more and more of this culture that are directed toward Christ, are falling on you, and you need encouragement and endurance. You know what Paul says? He says the scriptures, but do you know what scriptures he's talking about? Anyone? The Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't written then. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to go to our New Testament. Oh, we are, but Paul is not talking about that. Here he's talking about the Old Testament. So I don't think it's too much to say that if you're on the shore and you're just like, I don't want to be out there. I, there's too many colored flags all the time telling me about how bad it's going to be out there. And I don't want to get out there and really live this Christian life. You know what I think Paul would say? Oh, go read your Old Testament. It'll really encourage you to get out there. It'll, it'll really paint a picture of the story that we are living in. Or perhaps you are out in the water and you are seeing more than you wanted to see and you are tired of fighting the riptides and Paul says, go to the Old Testament. Oh yeah, go to the New Testament too, of course. But go, if any of you have um, ever been around any of my teaching or you just know I love an Old Testament narrative. I love an Old Testament story. Because it gives me encouragement and it gives me endurance because we see God being faithful to his people and then we see it fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. But if we only are in the New Testament text and we don't have that backstory, we're missing 
so much. So Paul says, hey, I, I threw that psalm in there. I connected it to Jesus because, hey, don't forget the Old Testament. It's so full of so much. And then he says, not only does the word of God give encouragement and endurance, but then he says, look at verse 5, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement help you to live in harmony. It's not just our Bible reading. It's God himself that is going to bring the encouragement that we desperately need and the endurance and what? To what? To live in harmony with one another. Um, this is difficult because we have different opinions, don't we, about how we are to live our lives. And there are divisions in our own day. Um, sometimes the middle class or the lower class will look down on the wealthy. Oh, they're selfish. Oh, they only care about themselves. Oh, they don't care about the poor. And then maybe the wealthy will look down on the poor and say, oh, well, they should have worked harder. Um, or they just don't understand the good life. And, the, and we separate ourselves. Maybe we separate ourselves along political, uh, racial lines. And there's this separation. And Paul is going to, just in a moment, make the argument that Christ has died for all people. And so we are to live in harmony with one another. Now, that doesn't mean that we will agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we will even agree. Uh, he's not even talking about a total doctrinal harmony. He is talking about brothers and sisters coming together in the Lord, wrestling out their faith, maybe even landing on different uh, sides of certain issues because of their own personal biblical convictions. But I think there's a verse in chapter four, uh, 14 that, it, that carries over into this, and, and Paul says it. It's in Romans 14, 17, and he says, this won't be on the screen, but he said the kingdom of God is not a matter of food or drink. It's not a matter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to add to his thinking here uh, that I think is acceptable. It's not a matter of politics. It's not a matter of money. It is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. So where we disagree... We are going to find unity in the blood of Jesus Christ, in righteousness, absolute righteousness from Scripture. And we're going to have joy and we're going to have peace. That is the kingdom of God. Okay, so number one for us today is this. God is glorified when his people are unified. God is glorified when his people are unified. This does not mean that we will agree on every single doctrinal matter. But it means that we will come together as one body, humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God and partake of the one body of Christ. Okay, so God is glorified when his people are unified. Let me just ask you this. Is there someone that you are not unified with right now who is in the body of Christ that you need to find some unification with? It might be offering that person forgiveness. It might be a conversation. It might be asking for forgiveness. But we can't think about this on a broader level until we have dealt with it in our own body. We here are in um, the, our Nashville campus, but also the other people who are part of the family of God in your life. I want you to think about that because we actually bring glory to God when we live unified in him. 
All right, Paul continues his argument. Now, remember, this is deep end stuff here, so hang here because we're, we're really getting out there. In verse 7, he says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you, to the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers, and so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praise to your name. Again it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just a few thoughts here. Paul is explaining to the Jews and the Gentiles who make up the Roman church a group, groups of people that came from such different ideological streams, such different sociological streams, and he is saying, I want you to come together in Jesus Christ, and I want you to accept one another. And this word accept is a very strong word. Some of your Bibles may say receive, um, but it also means to take inside. Don't you love that? that we are to receive hospitably one another. Anyone who is in the Christian faith, whether they are weak, whether they are strong, whether we're, whatever their struggles are, whatever their background is, whatever their socioeconomic background and whatever their race is, if they are in the body of Christ, we are to take them in. Give them a seat at our table. He says, accept one another. But remember I said at the beginning that Paul will not ask you or me to do anything that Christ has not already done. He says, accept one another as Christ has also accepted you. In other words, Paul is saying, Jesus Christ has taken you in as an outsider, as a sinner, as a Gentile, Christ Jesus has brought you inside. He has accepted you. So how can we not accept one another in love and in support and in bringing them close? And so then Paul goes on a really kind of a, a deep theological um, dive here, and he says, he says, just like Jesus accepted you in this, he said, Jesus became a servant of the circumcised. And you might be like, what? Well, the circumcised were the Jews. So Paul is saying that Jesus became a servant of the Jews. Remember, Jesus comes, he leaves heaven, he sacrifices, and he serves the Jews. And then Paul says, according to the promise given to the fathers. Who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What was that promise? It was the covenant promise that through Abraham there would be a nation and that God would bless him with many descendants. He would bless that nation, Israel, but then through Israel all nations of the earth would be blessed. So in other words, Paul is preaching the gospel here and he is saying, hey, church in Rome made up of Jews and Gentiles, made up of all different types of people, don't you see that Jesus lowered himself, he served the Jews according to the 
covenant given to the Jews that also gave mercy to the Gentiles. So in other words, what he is saying is that Christ's church is made up of both Jew and Gentile. So just as Jesus accepted both, and this has been the plan from the beginning, that's what I want you to do. And then, did you, you, heard, you saw maybe in your Bibles, maybe it was bolded, but Paul quotes promises, Old Testament promises about the Gentiles, and he doesn't just quote it from one place. Do you know what he does? He picks one from the Psalms, the poetry section. He picks one from the law out of Deuteronomy. He picks one example from Isaiah out of the prophets. So in other words, Paul is picking from all the genres of the Old Testament to prove to the church, hey, Jesus always had the Gentiles in mind. It was always going to be this way, that Jew and Gentile were going to come together. Now, this was mind-blowing for the church of the day, and today we have different things that we divide over. But we want to make sure that we're coming to the scriptures, that we're pouring over the scriptures, and that we are all committed to righteousness, peace, and joy. And that might mean that some people homeschool their kids and some send them to public school and some put them in private Christian. It might mean that some people vote this way and others vote that way. It might mean that you spend your money here and someone else is convicted to spend it here, but as long as we are committed to righteousness, peace, and joy under the gospel, that is how the church is to come together. And so we are to literally accept one another as Christ has accepted us. And I I want, um, this is number two for us, that when we accept others, we are personally demonstrating Christ's acceptance of us. When we accept others, we're personally demonstrating Christ's acceptance of us. Now, if we want to just sit on the seashore and pick up the shells and dig sandcastles, then we're going to have an understanding of Christ's acceptance, but we're not going to really understand it. But Paul's saying, jump in the kayak, get out into the depths of the ocean, and personally live out the gospel. Bring people into your home. Bear the burdens of the weak. Build people up. Live not just to please yourself. Live for pleasing others. This is the gospel, and we get to personally accept, uh, personally demonstrate what Christ has done for us when we accept other people. Okay, we'll continue on. Verse 14, my brothers and sisters, and this is Paul, by the way, closing out his letter to the Romans. He's kind of done with a lot of his theological issues. My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed, for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, Those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Essentially what Paul is doing here is he is just explaining to the 
church at Romans, uh, of, of, of Rome, that he has a special task from the Lord and that the reason he thinks they're doing a great job, but he wanted to encourage them on some finer details, on some certain points, and he's essentially affirming his call as a minister to the Gentiles. But there's one verse that really stuck out to me as I was getting ready for this message, and I want you to hold on to it. We're going to come back to it in just a moment, but it is verse 16 where he says, I have become a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, And then he says, if you drop down the last half, my purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Um, We know that the Jews would bring offerings to the Lord, and they would bring acceptable offerings to the Lord um, on the basis of their sin for atonement. And then in the New Testament, we see that no longer does the Lord want a sacrificial lamb. What he wants is, we saw it in Romans 12, 1, he wants us to put our lives down at the altar and actually offer up our lives. And so Paul here is saying that he has come as a minister of the Gentiles, that the Gentiles would actually be an acceptable offering, but also sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And that word sanctified in the Greek is made holy. It is to be set apart for special use. And so I want to remind you, and like I said, we'll touch on this at the end, but I want to remind you today that when you've been set apart by the Holy Spirit, nothing can make you unacceptable to God. This is three. When you have been set apart by the Holy Spirit, um, can we get three up there? Is it up there? When When you've been set apart by the Holy Spirit, nothing can make you unacceptable to God. There you go. We got it. So we're set apart by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you have come from. You are acceptable to the Lord. And this is huge news. This is gospel news for us today that no matter what is in your past, no matter what is in your history, the Holy Spirit has set you apart. He has made you holy so that you can be acceptable to the Lord. Um, We don't have time, I don't think, to read the rest of the chapter But I want to read just a few verses because this is so important. Verse 25 of chapter 15. Paul says this. He says, "Now, Right now I'm traveling in Jerusalem to serve the saints because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to them in material needs. So when I have finished this and safely delivered the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. What I want us to see here is that Paul is explaining why he hasn't been able to get to Rome yet. But he says, hey, listen, I really want to come see you, but there's this offering that's really important that I am personally overseeing, and it is the Gentiles from Macedonia and Achaia that are giving to the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And you can go read about this in 2 Corinthians 8. It's one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament because it says that the church of Macedonia, which was made up of all Gentile believers, they were oppressed. They were poor themselves. But when they heard that their Jewish brothers and sisters, who were like their forefathers in the sense because the gospel came first to the Jews, they were like, what? The Jewish 
uh, believers, brothers and sisters, are suffering in Jerusalem? You mean the ones that gave us the good news of the gospel? Well, we want to give to that. And this was a poor group of Macedonians. And they begged Paul, please let us give to our Jewish brothers and sisters. Because here's the thing, Paul, we have received a spiritual blessing from the Jews. We want to give a material blessing back to them. Isn't that cool? I love that. And so here's, here's number four today. Sacrificial giving isn't an option. It is an obligation. Do you see that? Paul says they are obligated, in verse 27, to minister to them in material needs. I know you came here today and you're like, I don't want to feel guilted. I don't want to feel burdened. I want to come and I just want to be uplifted and, and I just don't want anybody to put any more on me. I'm just, I'm sorry, I hate to tell you. Paul said obligated. He, were, he used the word obligated, right? That's like kind of a word that we just don't want. We don't want to be obligated, right? That's always a negative thing. I don't want to be obligated to have to do that or go to that party or return that call or whatever. Paul's like, hey, I got news for you. You're obligated. That's great. That's great news because this is where we get to experience the gospel, a sacrificial lifestyle of serving others. Okay, chapter 16, I already told you. We're not going to read it. <laughs> I wish we could. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to summarize it. Paul, he's closing out his letter, and he, he wants to greet all the different people, all these different people that he wants to call out. And here's what, here's what stood out to me. Um, Phoebe, he says, was a servant of the church, a benefactor of Paul and of many. Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for Paul. They had a church in their homes, and they were co-workers in Christ Jesus. He says Mary worked very hard for the church in Rome. He says Andronicus and Junia were noteworthy apostles and fellow prisoners. He says that Empiliatus, Paul's friend in the Lord, his dear friend in the Lord, he has others who, he says, worked hard in the Lord. He says Persis worked very hard in the Lord. He says Rufus's mother was like a mother to him. Can you imagine being like a mother to Paul? How cool would that be if Paul, Paul, Paul the Apostle was like, you were like a mother to me. How many people can we be mothers to? Gaius, host of Paul in the whole church. He's listing all of these people. They worked hard. They worked very hard. They struggled. They were prisoners. They were apostles. They were teachers. They were co-workers. They were benefactresses. They were mothers. And I had this picture a few weeks ago. I was in Italy with Justice and Mercy International and starting a, a work there, and we were staying with missionaries. In fact, Joel was there, and Katrina, and we, we had different ones from our, and Jonathan from our church here. But we were staying with a few missionary families, grandparents, parents, children, all with different homes. And I watched them live this kind of a gospel life. They, they did not go out into the deep and then come back to the shore and get their breath and then go back out to the deep and serve and then come back to the shore for two weeks until the flags got to normal and then go back. And they lived out in the ocean of Christian hospitality and Christian service. There were always people showing up to dinners. There were always people staying at their houses there were people in and out. It was a constant open door, a constant, yes, how can I serve? Yes, how can I help? It was an entire lifestyle of, of service. 
And as I was reading Romans chapter 16, I was, I was getting a picture of my friends in Italy, and I was getting a picture of how it's supposed to look like here, that these people that worked very hard and that worked all the time and that had the church in their home and that constantly were loving and accepting one another, and, and this, is, this is number five for us today, that working hard for the Lord and others, it's not an event. It's a lifestyle. And, and that's what Paul is calling us to. He's saying it's not just about a Sunday night or a Wednesday meeting or a Friday. It's all day, every day. Lifestyle, it's looking for the hurting in your workplace. It's, it's being part of the local church community. It's opening up your door. It's, it's being willing to say yes to the person who asks something of you. It's, it's sacrificial giving. It's all of these things. And that's what I hope that today as we look at this passage that we realize that this kind of lifestyle, this kind of service, it's not an event. It's not just a part or a piece, but Paul is calling us to a radical following of Christ because of what he has done for us. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.